I didn't get me to sing it the other week. I was like, Mm-mm, it's not happening. Yeah, that was how we opened the podcast was with yeah. you saying that you didn't want to sing. Mm-mm. Well, welcome everybody to Brandon and Lindsay have a podcast now. Got a special guest with us. Besides you, you're a very special guest. You're my most special guest. Well, thank you. Lonnie, you're cool too. Welcome. <laughs> Get a room. I'm here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we go much further, uh, I think it's time for the intro song. Let's hear it. And this one, this week is going to be brought to us by Lindsay and Lonnie. Mm-mm. All right, guys, ready? And a one, and a two, and it's a three. Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could make a cricket noise. I used to know a guy that could... That's really good. How do you do so much stuff? All right, wait. Before I ask that question, <laughs> before we get into the real stuff, it's song time. All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, hold on. I got to think of one real quick. <laughs> no, I don't want to do the same one. You can't oh, do the same no. one every time. I do think that the one I did on episode one off the cuff was... Was, was it not that, that one? That was pretty good. Yeah, it was okay. that. See, you remember it. Okay, I got it. Mm, mm, mm. My name's Brandon, and this is Lindsay. We got a podcast, so listen, maybe. That's it. (laughs) Awesome. Hmm. I like it. I know you do, girl. It was good. We we heard Carly Rae Jepsen on the way over here. (laughs) She was on my Pandora station. (laughs) Just to let you guys know what I listen to on Pandora. (laughs) Uh, Bud says we should remake Simple Man. It took me two years to write that, bud, and I'm a little bit offended that you want to hear something else. I spent almost a full two years writing that song. What did you think, Lonnie? I thought it was awesome. Thanks, I man. I recognize the tune even. <laughs> <laughs> so what's up, player? How you been? I've been very well, thank you. We, so, you know, we want to have the first couple episodes with just the two of us, but also, I, I want to do guests each week, and... uh I didn't want anybody for a first guest except you. You were I mean, the only person I contacted. That, that's so. super cool. I, and uh, I made uh, intentional movements to be here. I have the minions at the house this week, and oh, I yeah. left them with Jackie and said, look, i got to go do this. I can't pass up being the first guest on Brandon and Lindsay awesome. Have a Podcast. Well, now. we would have waited. We would have just yeah, done another right. solo and waited for you yeah. if, you'd have, if you couldn't have made it. Well, thanks for doing that. Man, my pleasure. But I was thinking last night, so I was like, there are very few people that Brandon has traveled I won't, I won't say all over the country to follow. So, like, if Eddie was ever in driving distance, Brandon was going. And if Pearl Jam was ever in driving distance, Let's then go. he was going. And then it's always, if Lonnie is speaking, like, within an hour or two away, we would go. And So, so Eddie Bravo <laughs> yes, and Pearl Jam and, and then, me. Right, that's dude, a great that crowd is tall to be cotton in. right there. I know. <laughs> For I was, a guy who has no actual talent or ability, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> but it was. It would be like, Lonnie's speaking an hour away. You want to go? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So, that's yeah. too cool. So let's let's start by, <laughs> let's talk about how w- you and I know each other. So give it, I, most people that are listening to this podcast, they don't know much about me. Or Lindsay, much less you. So let's get a little intro. Tell everybody who you are, what you do, and then let's just roll into how we how we all know each other from there. Okay, so I started out in youth ministry in the spring of 1980. And and I did, what I, does youth ministry mean? Because like mo, 
obviously I know what youth ministry means and a lot of the people listening may know but a lot of these people they didn't grow up going to church they don't know like what are you talking about when you say youth ministry okay so think about student ministry I'm the guy who at the church staff would basically be a specialist in child development parenting systems uh, integrating uh, kids in I, my goal was was raising spiritually self-reliant people it's almost like in a self-defense thing, you give a guy a black belt, he can go out and start his own school. Mm-hmm. So we wanted kids to grow up with their faith, and once they left home, not depend on what Lonnie says or mom and dad says, but to have their own ability to think and their own beliefs. And so youth ministry is basically ministering to the students in the church and helping them uh, prepare for transition and negotiate the crisis of being an adolescent. Man, that's not easy to do. It, it, it became, uh, it's why I've got a counseling degree. Because after I'd been, my undergraduate degree's in Bible. And once I understood that, hey, I may be trained as a teacher. I was not trained as a minister. A, a pastoral role where you deal with people. Hey, there's a breakup. This kid cuts. Uh, this kid's suicidal. This kid may be emergent with a personality disorder or something. And I was just totally lost on how to deal with that kind of stuff. So instead of going to youth minister conferences, I got permission from my employers to attend and take counseling classes. And I turned uh, some interest in counseling into a master's degree and a license. And so I moved to Huntsville in 86 to be a full-time minister at a church. And then in 98, I went into private practice as a counselor. And I'm still very active in ministry, involve a lot of churches and things. But it's a, it's a self-supported or a bivocational ministry. A lot of guys who do jujitsu have a real job, and then they teach at their gym at night. Well, that's kind of like I do now with ministries. I have a, a different job, and I do my ministry on the side kind of. And then you got your new podcast. I do have a podcast, yes. Which is really good. I'm a subscriber. That's cool. I listen to it every time. Okay. But I like your podcast because it's bite-sized little, like, Yoda nuggets of wisdom. Well, me, I'm, I'm, a, fun, I'm, I'm, I'm a fun-sized person. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm the fun-sized package of adults. So, uh, yeah. I, you know, Paul Harvey used to do a thing, and most people listening to this don't even know who Paul Harvey is. I remember Paul Harvey. But I, I, would, I would leave the office, whether it was at church or even when I was in private practice. I'd go through a drive through and get a burger. And sit and listen to 15 minutes of Paul Harvey at noon. And then and he went away. And you know the rest at the of rest the of story. the story. And, and so I thought, you know, if I could just maybe tell a story once a week, make a little application, and, and move on. And, and so probably nothing over 25 minutes so far, 35 episodes in. Yeah, it's like a little Wednesday night devotional. Uh, just packed into a, a quick podcast. I've been trying to get my son to listen to it, but he doesn't like to do things that I that I recommend to him. So I made a mistake. <laughs> made a mistake. I don't know where he gets that from. Mm-hmm. Everybody's <laughs> son does that. You know, Tony Dungy. My father's son still does. <laughs> yeah. You know, Tony Dungy, the Super Bowl coach. Yeah. Uh, uh, coach the Bucks, son, right? I think he won the Super Bowl with the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. So he tells his son, who's playing high school football, "You need to eat a better breakfast. You need to eat a better breakfast." No, Dad, I'm cool. No, Dad, I'm cool. You know, uh-huh. I'm, you know. He comes downstairs one day. His son's cooking breakfast. What are you doing? Well, my high school football coach told me I need to eat a better breakfast. <laughs> 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 so the no. Super Bowl winning coach tells you, "No good." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your high school football coach tells you, and he's probably like the equivalent of a mid-level blue belt in football. Yeah, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. And so we just ignore our parents and somebody outside source tells us stuff, you know. Yeah. It's funny. 
Well, was that a prophet is not without honor, uh, honor except for in his own country? Yep, this right? is true. That's, so as part of the, the youth ministry thing, I would speak at different events and go to retreats. And at some of those random events, I ran into you and your crew from Lawrence County. Keep talking. I'm going <laughs> to. All right. And I, I don't remember. it was Nayati in Gunnersville. Was that, was that the first time? No, it had to have been. It had to have been Maywood. Maywood. Yeah, Brandon was like fifteen, I think. Yeah, the first I time had not I been to Nayadi until after high school. Yeah, that was at the uh, UNA retreat when we were all at Nayadi, and y'all yeah, tried to throw me in the I lake. Think. Yeah, that's what yeah, that was in college. <laughs> I tried to sling you in the lake in college. Uh, getting a little sassy. Right, I've been having some lightsaber fights. You did not. You did not attempt that by yourself, though. No, nah, I knew like, I couldn't do it by myself. <laughs> I didn't get it done with the crowd either. No, I, <laughs> I recruited a bunch of help, and I still couldn't get his old tail in the water. And then y'all burned my Bible. <gasps> that's remember? not true. Yeah, yes, yes. No, uh, that's not true. So as we you started, as we started to leave, I I had gone and got Jackie and brought her. Well, I'm going to hell day. for sure. No, 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 no. It's not that bad. <laughs> so as we started to leave, several of you guys, and I don't remember if you were in that crew or not, said, "Hey, we, we've got to wrestle one more time." That probably was me. And, and so I, I had this little red Bible, and I put it on the bumper of a car, uh-huh. and I got on the ground and let you guys get on top of me. And Jackie said, now, don't move too fast. And one of the, one of the young men said, oh, don't worry. We're not going to hurt him. And she said, I'm not worried about him, <laughs> which is why I love my wife so much. But we wrestled around a little bit. You know, I said, now, when I get up, it's over. And we got in the car and drove off, and yeah. I left my Bible. And on the way home, whoever was in that car wrecked and his car burned up and my preaching bible was in it oh, listen man no. that is a long stretch from brandon you burned my bible <laughs> well yeah i know but that's that, a that is a you hefty get, jump you, you tried straight you get straight credit for that you I tried was, to condemn me for all of yeah, eternity i was a little worried for your soul. <laughs> no 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 i didn't mean you literally like smoke the pages you know <laughs> so i started running around with this eddie bravo guy and rolled the pages <laughs> no right. that's not what i was trying to say <laughs> We we got excited about setting that Bible on fire, and we just went nuts on the volume. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I'm an idiot. I had to pull it. Yeah, it was it was an accidental Bible burning. It was due to a car wreck. It wasn't like some nefarious satanic ritual. Made me sound like a Hitler burning. I was like Brandon. That didn't sound like you. I know things about you I didn't know. But yeah, that's and then we just kind of started running around. Were you in that group that went rappelling with us up on Montesino? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That was fun. I went. I think I went rappelling with you a few times. Yeah, a few different times. I know it seems crazy. Lindsay's like, I know. Wait, I was what? Like, that doesn't sound like you. Well, especially these days. Well, the group was going, and so right. you went along. Well, with these the young men were talking about they'd been doing some rappelling, and I'd seen videos of like Jonathan Lehman, you know, jumping over the Grand Canyon on a four wheeler, and and I couldn't imagine. And I love those guys to death, but I couldn't imagine them doing this safely. Mm. So I said, "Hey, y'all, come to Huntsville, and and we'll." We'll do some of this, and, and I help them understand the necessity of proper gear. Yeah. And if this rope is, you know, say, 10 years old, you probably need to be pulling tree limbs with it and not rappelling on Listen, it. Listen, dude, right. I, I would be shocked if Andy White didn't jump off the top of that mountain. No gear explanation or anything. Oh, absolutely. He was, he, Andy was really genuinely reckless with his body. He would just. It's funny. We've got a question about brain injuries. <laughs> like, <laughs> hmm, yeah, we're gonna need to talk about that. Yeah, I, think, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I bet you I Andy White's Andy got some. And Jonathan Lehman qualify for traumatic brain injury here and there. Yeah, but we all have. You know, it's a wonder any of us are alive and walking around. Well, there was a game that you and your friends used to play called Hurt Myself. 
That's true. <laughs> Did you hear about this? No. But that sounds like, <laughs> yeah. So, it, I mean, it was like running through sheetrock and like, or like, didn't some, was it Randy Bowerman who just like, just went straight into some sheetrock? Yeah, he ran through a wall. He ran through a wall. Uh, <laughs> I ran into a light pole and knocked so the, hard that it knocked the light pole out. It knocked the light out on the light pole. Face like I just ran into it like that. Like you know that video when I was running into Jeremiah Bowman. Yeah, yes, and I bounced yes. off. I did that to a to a light pole. Yeah, on the Faulkner campus, and I hit it with my body so hard that I knocked the light out. Wow. So I was jogging one day, random, just out running from my. And I'm not a a world class runner, high mileage runner, just mobility. But I got to thinking, what would happen if you choked yourself on this gum? <laughs> Could you Heimlich maneuver? Oh, I thought yourself? you were. I thought you were like, I'm going to try it. No, no. So <laughs> what happened if I so, choked myself with gum? So I, could I just thought survive. if you got choked on this gum while you're jogging or you swallowed like, a bug, could you rescue yourself? So yeah. I veer off the road and I'm in the middle of this soccer field and I double stack my fist underneath my diaphragm and start falling forward in the grass to see if I can res- rescue myself. <laughs> that sounds like something that my I would do. Said, actually, my wife said. This was in public near a road. I said, well, yes, honey. She goes, and they didn't call anybody on you? So, you know, I have these random Wiley Coyote moments in my life. Oh, so. yeah. I do that, too. Like, I think about, ooh, could I do a pull-up and, like, let's say I was hanging off a cliff. Could I pull myself up? Okay, I can do a pull-up. Well, what if, like, somebody was hanging on my legs? Like, could I save them, too? Like, I have random thoughts like that. Dude, not me. I'm like... I'm gonna have to cut this sh- this leg off to get this dude off of me, I guess, because well, I can't pull him can up. I kick well, the answer to that is with adrenaline, you probably could, because I've been in some situations and seen some guys do some stuff. Yeah. That you go. Oh. Wow. I don't think that's possibly that's possible physically. Yeah. And I, I told a guy one time it, that if you fell on a rock climbing, you could not self arrest, and he was terrified, and he slipped. And he probably fell three feet and caught himself like a cat on the screen door. Oh, wow. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. Whoa. Wow. Crazy. That is crazy. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's tell everybody about a little bit of the work that you do with the SWAT team. And how, I mean, you don't have to give the whole background if you don't want, but just some of the work that you do with them and, uh, you know, how, I don't know. You always have like some crazy story. <laughs> okay, so I got invited to be one of the volunteer police chaplains about 29 years ago. And uh, for whatever reason, us going on, there were 10 of us originally. <clears throat> and so we were going to go on call every 10 weeks. And that just wasn't going to build relationships. So they asked us if we could donate, you know, maybe four hours a week to one particular shift, one particular unit. And when they passed around the sign-up list, there was these two letters, SR. And I said, who are they? They said, they're yours. And <laughs> SR stood for special response team. And so I started, and they trained one night a, m- a week. And so I would go and meet them on their training night and work out with them. Uh-huh. And then I got invited to stay for supper. And then I got invited to, hey, why don't you learn how to clear buildings with us? We'll put you in the stick and let you walk through the building. And then it was like, well, now that you know what we're doing, why don't you hide in the building and be our bad guy? Uh-huh. And it turned that sounds, and it, that's like the most perfect job for you. And ever. it turned into this, you know, the first time they said it, it was like me hiding a building in the dark and you come find me. I'm a hunter. Mm-hmm. There's no way this will well those guys, it's unbelievable what they can do with they're a flashlight so in a building. Yeah. And that was before, you know, night vision and heat seeking stuff. And so I just started training with them uh, from six PM to two AM every Monday night. 
and now we've kind of changed hours and changed days. But because of my involvement with the team, I get to do anything the team does. You know, we, we had an, an officer get involved in a shooting and I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so the, the chief back then said, if we give you a pager, that's how long ago it was a pager. <laughs> Would you respond with the SWAT team when you're in town? So I, when they get called out, I get called out. I get invited to do all kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm like an adjunct part of the team. I'm not a shooter. I'm not an operator. I'm not a sworn officer. But because I'm enmeshed with the team, I now teach at the academy. I teach de-escalation. They let me help with defensive tactics. I get to be the bad guy when the cadets learn how to handcuff people, which is cool. My fun. record is it takes six cadets to handcuff me. Whoa, that's my record. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, they just did that the other day and Jerry invited me to come over, but I was traveling back from Arizona and I couldn't do it. I was like, Oh man, oh, I want to go out there and wrestle those cops so bad. <laughs> and, that and that's their fun. first introduction to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Most of them. And they're unprepared. Isn't that wild? And like, so you've seen that a lot over the years, like tough guys that don't know how to fight. What, what is wrong with people? That makes them think that they're going to be able to fight even though they've got literally no experience and they barely have even seen it on TV. They think they can bench press or they've done a uh, some version of some kind of, you know, jack-in-the-box uh, self-defense yeah. technique like the traditional striking arts that aren't really geared for true self-defense. Yeah, for actual combat. But are sport-type stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, just like anything else, everybody thinks you can shoot. And anybody can shoot a paper target, but put a live animal out in front of you or put a moving animal mm-hmm. or put an animal coming towards you or be shot back at. Yeah. All kind of things change like that. You know, I, my daughter played competitive volleyball and uh, I'd sit by the coach and, and, and beginning of tournaments and I'd watch a team warm up. I go, oh, coach, man, they look good. And she'd grin and go, everybody looks good in warm ups. Mm. Any, anybody can spike Except a ball me. when yeah. anybody can spike a ball when they're not a blocker. That's true. My layups looked awesome. Hold on just During a second. Warm-ups. Let's, During warm-ups. Let's, yeah, let's slow down just a little bit. <laughs> you never saw my layups. I've seen your layup. <laughs> I've seen your jump shot, too. Well, okay, now that. Okay, so my number in basketball terrible. is five. Because you get five fouls. That's what I'm good at. <laughs> That's what I'm built for. On the last great day, if you have any fouls left, mm. you are wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> put me last, in. The last great day. So, so put a great day coming. So put me in and tell me who you want me to hurt. And I'll get my five. I'll go sit down. That's funny. So working, yeah, so we're talking about uh, why people, what is it about so not even like you were like, oh, a strong person, they think because they're strong, they can do. But it seems like almost every male believes that they'll be able to fight when the time comes. They'll just magically have the skill when the time comes. Why? So I guess my question is, why are we crazy as a human race? <laughs> okay, so you think about what you have to measure it against. I, I can take a stick and knock a ball over a fence. Well, I must be strong. I must be able to swing something. Uh, I can run through a, a line and, and knock people in their butt with a bunch of pads and a helmet on. And we get this idea that as men, we, we come equipped to fight. And it's just not true. Yeah, it's really, really not true. It's crazy, though, the the false sense of confidence, though. That, I mean, we'll have people come in several times per month, probably. And, yeah, I want to beat Conor McGregor. What? You want to beat Conor McGregor? Like, like you got 20 years? You know, like, it's 
in the, in the book uh, Just Listen by Mark Golston, he calls that dissonance. We have a projection of ourselves that doesn't match the actual part of ourselves. No. And be, have you ever practiced any martial arts whatsoever? Mm-mm. No. But, I mean, that's my goal set. That's and, and that's called a positive wild. fantasy. So you've got the, the peak of the pyramid and none of the blocks underneath <laughs> to support it. You know, it's pretty much yeah. my life. That's how I do things. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, we, you know, I was working with a ropes course group, and, and uh, we went around the circle, and this kid goes, uh, I'm going to be a, a neurosurgeon. I said, that is awesome. And so what medical school have you been accepted to? Mm-hmm. Like, Dude, I'm working on my GED. Okay. Well, that's a lofty goal. But, you know, we didn't finish high school, but we're going to go to Vanderbilt. Right. And so there needs to be a little reality check or pump the brakes at least on this. I'm not saying they can't do it, but it's unlikely. Yeah. So you remember American Idol and. Dude, I'll say this all the time that Simon Cowell was the only friend those people ever had. Like, when the people are horrible, horrible, horrible. And everybody knows they're horrible except them because nobody ever loved them enough to tell them the truth. Like, your mom never told you the truth. Your friends never your told you the truth. Your lied to you and said you were good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're up here legit embarrassing yourself because nobody loved you enough to tell you the truth. And I know that some people, though, they'll hear the truth and they'll just, it doesn't matter. I'm... I'm the best anyway. You know, yeah. there's a lot of that, that too, is, for that's sure. That's a true friend that's going to tell you you're terrible. Yeah, you need people in your life who are brutally honest. Everybody needs a Simon Cowell, dude. Yeah. That's what Matt Scaff does here. <laughs> that's a that's good both of us. Yeah, you too, Jones. I know. <laughs> and see, that's going to throw me off all day because my wife calls me Jones. I am uh, Jones right. or Jonesy, <laughs> and my grandkids call me Jonesy, and her her maiden name is Jones. Yeah. And so yeah. you call her Jones. Even when I'm listening to your other podcast and you go, yeah. Jones, I, I, what? <laughs> you know, it catches me off guard, man. Yeah, I've always, I've always called her Jones. I don't know why. That's too funny. Yeah, so her middle name, I won't tell you what it used to be. You can. Okay, it used to be Jamel. Which is my mom's name, so yeah, those her of mom you who are going to comment on that, be very careful. <laughs> so do you have brothers and sisters? Me? Yeah. I have a sister. Does she have children? Yes. So you're Aunt Jamel. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up, I'm, yeah. that has to happen. Well, so yes, forever though, I was waiting for the wedding day when I could change my name legally, you know, and then that would not hurt my mom's feelings. <laughs> okay, all <laughs> and right. And so, uh, but at, at a certain point, Brandon was like, you know, I think I want you to just get rid of Jones altogether. Like, we're getting married. You're mine now. And I want you to do, you know, like... Yeah, we were. Yeah, probably for for five minutes. I probably thought that, and I was like, "No, I'm getting rid of. I'm getting rid of Jamel. Like (laughs) it's gonna be Lindsay Lindsay Jones McCatherine. Lindsay Jamel McCatherine has a certain genesee. (laughs) I don't know what that means. It rolls off the tongue. My middle name's Buster. I don't know what you're crying about. No way. Straight up, named after both my grandfathers. I'm named after Lonnie Walker, my mom's dad, and Buster Jones, my dad's dad. And my my dad's dad didn't have a middle name. He was Buster Jones. No. Wow. And, and well, that's he, my mom was Jamel Slagle. She didn't have a middle name either. Your yeah, name is Lonnie Buster Jones. Lonnie Buster Jones, straight up. Dude, get out of here. That doesn't. Seem, that seems fake. <laughs> that seems fake. He made so when that my up. brother went to law school, uh, he's Gerald Braxton Jones Jr. And he started signing some stuff, G. Braxton Jones, attorney at law, which sounds just, yeah. that's boss, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I'd write him a letter and sign it, L. Buster Jones. <laughs> <laughs> L. Buster Jones. 
But hey, what can I say? So here's what I think we should do. Let's take questions, the three of us, instead of just taking questions, the two of us. Okay. And Lonnie's probably going to have some interesting insight into some of these things here. Well, you know, before we start that, this might be a good time for the commercial break. You're right. So do you want to see what the time is? On the... No, I, I can't okay. see it from here. I'll, I'll note it in the, in the uh, whatever it's called. Notes. <laughs> notes. Yeah, that's it's called notes. I'll yeah, note it in the it. notes. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get some questions going here. All Who right. do I want to do first? Oh, I got them over here, Lindsay. Oh, you're, you're gonna good. do that? Okay. Yeah, I got them live over here. Um, oh, here's one, Lindsay. Okay. Uh, this is Marcus Harness. Whatever happened to not the BMAC show? Okay, so here let me explain something about Brandon to you guys. Okay, <laughs> so Brandon lives in the clouds. Okay, where all the big ideas are. And I live down like in the dirt where like we make things practical and we put things into action. Okay. So Brandon comes up with all these big ideas, not the BMAC show, PGF. He's got his hands in a lot of different um, baskets here. So um, sometimes he never comes back to the big idea like he enjoyed it at the time it served its purpose and now that big idea gets put somewhere else so not the BMAC show has turned into really the PGF and Brandon's not really in it he's organizing everything but the PGF is not the BMAC show he's telling stories about um, you know these competitors it's the 10th planet guys uh, in our gym, it's me and Scaff and Joe sitting and doing commentary. So Brandon really wants to put, um, I guess for lack of a better word, the characters at 10th Planet Decatur. He wants to put them on display and he wants everybody to get to know the people in our gym. So Brandon puts himself out there a whole lot, um, you know, through his social media and stuff. So he's kind of like, let's let's give everybody else some, some air time. So that's... Uh, in my opinion, that's where not the BMAC show went. Yeah, I was just going to say I hadn't got to it yet. <laughs> but I don't yeah. know if that was better or. But that was a, I, I like hearing you talk about me. That's good. You just I'm learning stuff about me all the time. That's true. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next one. Ooh, this is a tough story. This is a tough question because I'm not a good competitor. Hmm. <clears throat> Oh, here we go. This is uh, 13 Into. Okay. All right. So what is the best class or session of yours to attend for someone who's completely new to training? And they said they sat in on one of the beginner's classes, and they still felt like that was a little much. So what do you think about uh, what's the best class? I, I, I definitely think that, that that class you're talking about, our beginner class on Tuesday, Thursday at 6, is definitely the right play. But uh, I don't know. Do you guys think that – I don't know. I don't feel like that's too advanced. It depends. Like, because sometimes you're doing um, twisters or truck rolls, and that can look very intimidating uh, in beginner class. So I think you probably just caught it on a, a difficult night where we were doing something kind of more sport jujitsu. And, I mean, you know, sometimes people will come in for those those classes and they get, like, a different sense of what it actually is. Like, you'll be doing takedowns or – shots or you know yeah. something like that and that's not really 
uh, indicative of what the beginner class is normally like. So uh, maybe try another beginner class like on Tuesday or Thursday night and, you know, or a couple sit in on a couple of those and and see what it's actually like, you know, and maybe you just called a weird class. Well, years ago, Brandon, in analyzing the holes in my game, said my movement was not very efficient. And I'm not an athletic person. I didn't play traditional sports. Uh, I rock climb, but when I started rock climbing, it was power climbing. We didn't do anything beautiful or gymnastic. You know, if the rock didn't break, you went up it. If the rock broke, oh well. You know, so we were, you know, we're doing, we're doing what we call power climbing, monster inside moves. And so, you know, everything I did was just, you know, forget the force, use force. And so Brandon said, hey, you, it's your movement efficiency is keeping you. And so if you could get a private lesson and just say, show me about basic movements. And then you, when, when you're not trying to move with somebody on top of you or you're not trying to survive, you know, getting your head smashed, and somebody says, this is your basic movement efficiency. Because when Brandon talks about movement and you too, you talk about leverage and you talk about weight distribution. That's your foundation for anything you're going to do, not just in jiu-jitsu, but athletically. So I would say if you're overwhelmed that a, a beginner class talks technique, go below technique and learn movement foundational movement efficiency. Yeah, and we ch- I try to open every beginner's class with uh, the most important movements that you're going to need. So I know there's like this big controversy on shrimping now. We can talk about that if y'all want. But yeah, that's in Matt's next podcast I'm listening to. Yeah, I, I, listen, I dork out on Scalf's podcast. I like when he starts talking about jujitsu. Like only stuff that dork jujitsu dorks want to hear about. I'm like, yeah, that's me. So uh, anyway, what was I saying? Um, oh yeah, we do start out every basic, class with we basic, do basic movement, yeah. like shrimping, forward roll, backward roll. Yeah, Granby roll to each side. That's how everything starts. We've been starting with like basic guillotine defense a lot lately, or we'll warm up with taking a shot, bridging, you know, the basic movements you're going to need. And it probably is a little bit more difficult for people that are trying class for the first time with the way that we're structuring the curriculum now. So if you come in at the very beginning of the month and you're fresh, you're at the same level as everyone else. You're learning a brand new technique and a brand new flow um, with everyone else. But then when you come in the middle of the month or the end of the month, we're finishing up. Everybody else looks awesome because they already have like 150 reps on this flow. And then you come in and it's brand new. So it is a little bit intimidating um, with the way that we're structuring that. But it's but that's super what it's, important for our students to exactly. have it that way. So The school here is, this is an academy. It's a place, like it's an educational institution. It just happens to be education about mostly martial arts. Right. Right. There's some other stuff you learn here that, yeah. uh, you know, I hope you pick up along the way secretly, right. underhandedly. But it's it's an education institution, which means it's for the students. Right. Like when I go visit a college campus, if I sit in on a second level mathematics class that's not for you that's like, not yeah. that's not the class i'm supposed to you know even now if i go sit on a beginner level mathematics class i can understand a lot more of the stuff they're talking about probably right but i'm still picking up in the middle of the semester and right. i don't know anything about this teacher or the processes that they use so it's a new experience any anytime you jump into a anytime you get immersed into a culture that's not yours mm-hmm. you have to learn the vocabulary you know, everything, you know, take rock climbing, for instance. You know, people talk about 
you know, are you doing lead climbing? Are you doing sport climbing? Are you doing solo climbing? Is it a free I don't solo? Know what none of that means. Right. I know Nobody solo, does. I know what solo means. <clears throat> and then when 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 you and we do that everywhere. You know, you go down talk to the guy who's going to refinance your house, and he starts using these terms that you don't work with every day. So every time you immerse yourself in a new culture, you've got to learn the language. You've got to learn the operational definitions of stuff. Yeah. So I would say for a beginner that wants to come to 10th Planet Decatur, uh, the best time to come in would be like at the beginning of the month when Brandon is first starting the curriculum. And then that way you can jump in when everyone else is at level zero. Um, but for SCAF's class, the way that he structures a class, it's an all levels course uh, class. So he'll teach a basic technique at the beginning and then they gradually get more difficult. But he, you know, he will tell the students, all right, now if you're a beginner, let's just, you're drilling that same first two techniques, the whole class. And, you know, they'll get excited and want to try the advanced techniques and, you know, but he, he's saying, no, go back. You need more reps on that, those foundational techniques so yeah i mean you could take scaff's class at any time and just you're just drilling those first few techniques if you've got a little seasoning on you and you're just looking to drop in and visit and get some training in though oh anytime you can come anytime but the right class to come to is the noon classes on Mm -hmm. monday and wednesday if that's what you want if you're like oh no i'm looking to get some challenging training in that's where we do our better, our best work. Is That's your there. tribe classes. Yeah. yeah. That's where the tribe assembles. That's I try to get over here when I can come take a class. I try to come at noon mm-hmm. yeah. and get the, murdered. The day classes is definitely my favorite training for sure. Yeah, me too. I would like it. I would love to just have a noon class every day, and then that was the one that I did, and I didn't come back up here at night. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for – you know, we've had other people run in the beginner's class before, and they always do a great job. Like John was an incredible beginner's class coach. Joe does a marvelous job. You know, all of those guys that have done the beginner class have been great. But I didn't like not having my hands on the beginners. You know, I think it's super important. Like, I get – I'm the first one that start. we talked about – you talked about culture. I start with the culture. Like, the culture starts with me yeah. in the beginner's class. And as you blossom and grow and your personality starts to fit, you'll become whatever you become, little butterfly, and that's fine as you move on up into the, But the culture starts here. These are things that we don't do here with our training partners. This is, how we, this is how we treat our training partners. We like to go hard or we don't go hard with these people or this is not a subject matter that's appropriate on the mats or whatever it is. So I, I think it's really important that I have – uh, a real clean first touch on the culture, not just the, the beginners themselves, but the culture in the beginner class. Well, ultimately, as you rank students, they're going to be a reflection of you, yeah. like it or not. Yeah. And so you need that early, This I'm going to put my fingerprints here, and if, if they're going to wear one of my colored belts, then they're going to be a reflection of my philosophy. Whether they agree with it or not, at least you know they came through that filter. Yeah, and you know what, man? Like, getting good, like, past say purple belt like the especially black belt it really doesn't have that much to do with the teacher or the coach it's just it's about you and you becoming like that's when you're putting your own flavor on it and your your training habits start to come you start to find out what your training habits are really doing for you now so yeah i think it's much more important for me to put my hands on the beginners put my hands on the culture of the beginners and then 
once they start to become advanced, if they stay around, then they'll the advanced the dogs create their own culture. You know what I mean? And and I learned a long time ago, like it's it's not uh, not only is it not fruitful to try to to grab the dogs and bring them all in all the time and keep them in a pen. But it's impossible as well. Well, it's the path to self-reliance. Yeah. And so you give me foundational things, and I can keep some, I can embrace some, and I can modify some. And, and that's the, you know, that's the, the true spirit of being a mentor. Is you know, if I take some seventeen-year-old out and teach him to climb, he's got a seventeen-year-old body with seventeen-year-old strength and seventeen-year-old endurance, and he has thirty years of climbing experience dumped on him. If he can't outclimb me in six months, there's something wrong with that kid. And that's, yeah, that's one thing that I've noticed about us here, especially since we've been in this this location, um, which is now like six years. Our kids, our kids, our students are growing and improving at an amazing rate now because, you know, I mean, think yeah, about like. We can take somebody and get them good way, way, way faster. Yeah, now. and I mean, you know, when we were at different gyms, we we didn't have the level of experience yet. We were still going as hard as possible and training with everybody. It didn't matter how much you weighed and like, you know, we we're just going hard instead of being good. Instead of going <laughs> so, well. Well, you know, go out here and run on a track and go out here and do some heels. Yeah. The environment the same movement in a different environment will create a better product. Yeah. And you've got a, a gym culture here that I, you know, uh, I don't know who came up with that word, a social culture at your gym is about uh, excellence <laughs> and savagery, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a control savagery. You know, I get, I get a lot of ex-military guys or, or military guys will write me and they always sign with some Latin something or another i don't know if it's uh simplify or semper fidelis or whatever I, I learned how to how to do vehemence integritas which is violence and integrity right. <laughs> i always write that when, awesome. when i'm because that's what i've learned it's we're, we're learning the art of violence with a great amount of integrity yes well, with great power comes great responsibility that's straight up spider-man right there it is. <laughs> i remember you used to say that all the time too I heard you say that in your speeches a couple of times. But, yeah, you were saying mentoring that 17-year-old. Now we have three black belts that can watch you do something and go ahead and make those corrections so that you're not doing 200 reps incorrectly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so now Guilty as charged. Right. And so now you're it's a club. lot more efficient and for these white belts and blue belts that are coming in. So. We watch a VHS tape, and you think the key to finishing a triangle is squeezing your legs tighter. Right. When somebody yeah. comes in and says, no, no, dorsal flex your foot and get that ligament behind your uh, hamstring to engage, and he'll tap. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, wow. I didn't feel like I was trying to break my own leg while I was choking oh, this yeah, guy. That's today. way easier oh, wow. than I thought. Yeah. That's what I always find that, that really um, amazes people. I think particularly with the kind of style that I roll now, is um, there was how do you how do you do that? Is it isn't like wow you really beat my tail? Usually, I either hear how did you do that? You made me feel like a little kid, or how are you so heavy? Those are the. <laughs> you know, the I, I think the first time it really really hit me, and and not taking away from anybody here, I rolled with Sean Bollinger oh, at yeah. the old Bender's location, mm-hmm. and and I told my wife it was like it was like I was ethereal. I couldn't touch him, I couldn't place weight on him. And 
you know, I started training with you guys right after some major surgery. So I was porked up, you know, I was a 200 pounder and, and I couldn't put 200 pounds of weight on this guy. And he was, he was, I couldn't explain it. I said, it was like, he was not substantial. If you just told me this guy's a phantasm, I would have believed it. (laughs) And, and so learning that it's the deadly efficiency of this stuff that just owns my soul. Yeah, man. It's just awesome when you see that, you know, I can move another man's weight simply understanding leverage. And, and momentum. And momentum, yeah. That's, you know. I think that's one that, that people miss. I mean, you talk about, we talk about it, but there's not that, there's not enough emphasis on timing and your momentum. Like, your energy is my weapon, not your body is my weapon. It's your energy that you're putting through your body and trying to transfer to me. Well, I just move and don't allow that. I don't allow you to transfer it onto me. I allow you to transfer it, but you transfer it past me as I move out of your way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think enough uh, jujitsu guys and fighters really um, embrace that idea. Well, when I first started, if there was, you know, I was a space equals escape, contact equals control. Well, I found a space. I would try to penetrate the space, not just enter the space. You enter the space and camp out in it. And when you start penetrating it, you get your body segmented. You, you get quartered. And then you wrap around the guy who's on top of you with a death grip. Well, your arms are now isolated. That's not doing any... Well, it's doing him some good. It's not doing you any good. And so learning to connect without penetrating is... is and that was so hard for me to grasp till Matt and, and especially uh, Brandon explained that. You're touching. You're connecting without pushing. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to explain. It's almost impossible to... Like, it doesn't... It sounds like, oh, yeah, you could just do it, but you can't. It's the same thing as the hula hoop, the hula hoop drill that you did yes. with the PGF guys, yes. <laughs> right? All they had to do is Lower nothing. <laughs> All they had to do was nothing. Let their fingers lay there and let the hoop lay on their fingers. But instead, as soon as they contact it, even a little bit, just to, the act of touching it is enough weight to lift it. And so when they touch it, it always went up. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is just go in and let the hoop come to you. And you only go down. Yeah. And it drops, right? Absolutely. Um, but just the slightest imperceptible contact, is pu- that's the equivalent of pushing. And people do that in jiu-jitsu. And that's how you take advantage of people. And a good player is they waiting for that subtle shift. And when it happens, you open the door and they fall in. You and, know, you- and generally, especially if you're like a wider blue belt, you don't even realize that you did it. Like you don't even realize that you did that no, to yourself. No, because it wasn't just one person. Like you could have, t- you could have seen if it was just one person going up. You know, mm-hmm. their finger would have been up, and everybody else's would have been lowered. But it, it wasn't like that. Everybody went up. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny watching the PGF guys try to do it. What was your experience like working with them? Did you enjoy that? That was one of my most enjoyable experiences because you've got these. Uh, Really interesting personalities. You had the Elkins, and very divergent. I had the Elkins boys in, in, the, in the room, you know, and that they're we need. I need to take them guys bow fishing. I just, <laughs> yeah, you those guys. I've got. I've been trying to find out a, a seminar that they're doing just on wrestling, just to go attend it, just to hang out with yeah. those guys. I think they're they're really cool. And then you get like um, Zach, who's real real introspective, and then I can't I can't bring his name up now, but he's the the tall. Oh, Sam Barbosa. Sam Barbosa is like 
I could listen to him talk all day. I told my wife, I said, you know, if you put these guys in street clothes, it looks like you're in there with a debate club. <laughs> and, and, and it yeah. was such a neat experience. And Kimon had some really good perspectives. And it was just, you know, of the, a lot of times you bring in a group and it's these executives or this group of engineers mm. or this sports team. Well, these guys were so, so vastly different, but so much alike. It was just super enjoyable to be with them. You like working with athletes? I do. What's your favorite kind of group like that to work with? I, I actually like a team sport. I really prefer to work with either football teams or volleyball teams. Why is that? Uh, they understand corporate individuality, mm. which is the idea that I'm part of something big, but I've got an individual role. And if I don't do my job, it falls apart. Mm. You know, in a, in, a, in a blocking scheme, you know, if the linebacker fails – then you've got you don't have outside containment and this is going to go bad fast if a linebacker does contain then they've got to come down the middle and and your tackles and your guards and everybody now that's where the battlefield is and so i like the fact that everybody understands that my value is that i have a role not that my role specifically gives me my value and so i, I really enjoy football teams and, and, and volleyball teams the most uh, dig into that a little bit about the the role gives me my value. What what does that apply to all of us? Is that is that true across the board? I, I, hesitantly, I would I would say yes to that. You know, what's the most important part of your car? Dude, I don't Engine. know. Okay, the, the whole so, thing. So if I start driving, <laughs> if I start driving back to Huntsville and it rains, and I don't have a sixteen dollar piece of rubber that does this, I'll park that car. Yeah. Now, nobody, you know, talked, oh, man, I spent $700 on my wiper blades. Look at this. They're chrome. No, right. it's a piece of rubber. But if it's not working when I need it to work, my car shut down. It's in the a most family, part at the moment. Yeah, in a family, in a neighborhood, in a church, in a gym, at a competition. If you don't do your job, it affects everybody. So, yeah, okay, I came in on the mat, and I didn't clean my, my feet from fungus. I shut the gym down. It's true. You know, I, I, I walk on the mat with, with my shoes and I rip it. Everybody stop training because we got to tape up the mat. You're, you have a value simply because you're part of a system. And don't ever sell yourself short from that. And specifically, you know, quit comparing your what you know about you on the inside to only what you see about other people on the outside. It's a stupid way to keep score. Hmm. What is a good way to keep score? <laughs> you, maybe you shouldn't keep score. I don't well, know. I think you, you understand that there is some inherent value. I come from a, a worldview that I'm, I'm a created being. Uh, and, and so I have an image of my maker. I've got a, a stamp from the factory that says you've got some inherent qualities that you need to develop. And, and so I think just, just understanding that we don't arrive on the planet by accident. And we have purpose and we have value, I, I think, is is how to keep score. And I'm not trying to be the best. I'm trying to be my best. Mm -hmm. Now, my best ends up being the best in some certain field. You know, give me a belt, give me a medal, give me a trophy, give me a ring, yay. But I'm just trying to be the best version of me I can be. So to you, the, it, the word process is much more important than the word product. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have much rather come into a noon class and be the smallest, oldest dude in the room and and fight for my life for the three rounds I could roll <laughs> and go home and go, man, 
I was really challenged by these guys today rather than go home and say, you know, I tapped everybody in the room. There's no uh, that's pretty cool, too, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I, I went to a workout the other day, was a guest at a place, and was the, the, the highest-ranked dude in the room. Oh, wow. It was crazy. Yes. I was like, I'm a Jedi master here, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I was sweeping people yeah. and rolling, and they were like, how did you do that? I, I used a lockdown on a guy, mm-hmm. and he was like, what was that thing you did to my leg? Because I, I couldn't progress. Yeah. And then I did a, uh, a dip set with him. I put him on one side. Like, Crap, that's the wrong side. I put him on the other side. <laughs> and then did an electric chair. And it was like, I have magical powers that these right. people don't know about. So, yeah, it's, it's really yeah. neat to be the that guy in the room. But I'm rarely that guy in the room. Trust me. I always tell people that by the time you hit Purple Belt, you should feel like a demigod to normal people. That's, that's true, man. But, I, but you have to balance it. Because where you want to puff your chest out and go, I have a purple belt. You got to remember that on the food chain, there's some saber tooth tigers still roaming around. <laughs> and there's there's levels of purple belts. I'm not the, no the same level purple belt uh, that uh, Kevin Primo is, right. or, or that uh, Elkins is. That just you know, I'm I'm sort of a. And also ran purple belt long ago <laughs> because these guys are. You're I'm the 23rd Democratic yeah, candidate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys are 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 predators they're competitors and yeah. i'm a kind of a self-defense hobbyist and been around long enough that you know they said oh, well you know yeah. his blue belt's biodegradable he has to have another <laughs> <laughs> but you think about i mean purple belt is pretty awesome because once you keep going and progressing people start falling away so i would think you know i mean the higher you get in belt rank the smaller the population is and so, you know, you looking down, there's a lot of blues and whites, you know, beneath you and some purples. Well, and I'm so, not lacking in self-confidence uh, and, I'm, yeah. and, and I'm not a pessimist, but I'm also a realist. And, and my training has been hobby level, way more work in my own garage, way more work with the VHS tape than actual being able to attend and have classes. And I remember one time over at Bender's, Brandon, and I don't remember if he was talking directly to me or I just heard it. He goes, you know, if I give somebody a purple belt, I've got to believe they're a superhero. And the wind went out of my sails because I was like, I'm a middle-aged guy, probably never going to be considered a superhero. But I started putting in the work. And then when it happened, it was like, and my goal was to have a purple belt if I could stay healthy before I was 60. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you talk about, I want to be able to roll when I'm 60. Well, <laughs> I'm 58, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and so it was like, I want to, I want, if possible, and I can be consistent. That was kind of, you know, now I'm still able to train. Who knows, you know, what may happen in the next few years. You know, I took my first year of purple belt and tried to teach one night a week. I, I, I didn't show up to a lot of things. Uh, I'm going to try to see if I have enough base knowledge to teach. And so I've been teaching. I'm starting to attend some classes and roll again and try to get my win back up. And so well, it's been a weird time if you did like here in the last year, if you didn't, you know, if your gym wasn't open or if you didn't have easy access to a gym, like if you weren't teaching somebody, you weren't training. If you weren't yeah. just doing some one-on-one or small group sessions. I did so. the John Donaher movement stuff. I tried to do 200 reps of every move that he taught. Okay. During the How pandemic. did you like that? Like the solo I drill really, thing? really liked it. I, I still struggle with what, with, with your version of a Gramby, his version of a Gramby, your version of a Gramby are two different things. But I can invert and put one foot on the ground. I can't put both feet on the ground inverted. And that may be a flexibility issue. 
It may be. A, yeah, I don't think it's even a, necessary. Maybe I'm really. a fat guy. But this drill he does where he sits on his butt and he rolls over and comes up like a snake and then rolls back over and he moves like he's demon possessed. I want to be able to do that. That's just <laughs> I cool. I haven't seen it. It's a weird thing. He, he like is sitting and he goes over into the what we call our Grambies and he rolls up with his head and he ducks his head back over and comes back sitting up and he moves like a snake. It's like... That could be in a Harry Potter yeah. movie. <laughs> I, if I could get out in the middle of like a soccer field in a third world country and do that, they would yeah. worship you. They as would a, bring as stuff to me. It would yeah. be awesome. I mean, they throw spears at me. Yeah. I, you know, I got a oh, quick short trip to the volcano. But it, it, it's a it's a really cool thing. But I, I I felt like it was super beneficial to me just to make myself do these movements that I don't naturally do. And then you know the idea of if you move your hips, your shoulders need to move at the same time in the same direction. And I catch myself, my shoulders not Get moving, separated. me trying to, yeah. and and once I connect, you know, again the kinetic chain, that was super. That that was worth the price of admission, just to 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 get that hammered into my dumb head. What were you about to say, John? Oh, I was always impressed with that movement where you start like flat on your back, and then you do a shoulder roll, but yeah. then you flatten out on your stomach. And then try to shoulder roll again. So yeah, without yeah, momentum. That's one of my right. favorite things to do. Like when. Uh, <laughs> like to yeah. show like no 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 there's levels of movement you think you're good but you can't even move your body so yeah. like I'll, I'll show that to like a purple or a brown belt yeah, sometimes and they're like what are you talking about I can't do that at all well then you you can't move because sometimes people will like especially with the open guard stuff sometimes I'll get kicked back from people like um uh, I can't do it I'm like well your core is not strong mm-hmm. listen my core is strong. I work out. I'm here training all the time. I've been training here for a year. Like, yeah, but your core is not strong. It's not 15 years strong. It's not 15 years or every even day strong. Jiu-jitsu strong. Um, so you, know, I mean, just like cardio. People ask me, well, how can I get better cardio jiu-jitsu? And the only thing comparable that I would think would be that high intensity interval training, hit training. And but I mean, running is not going to get you cardio for jiu-jitsu. Mm-mm. You know, it, you could get a bear. And, and have to go through it every day to get breakfast, that would be comparable to what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? trying to trying to train with Brandon, like trying to fight a bear yeah, for your you breakfast. Know, just, I just got to go through that. I, and so I've got this tire that I've been flipping. Mm-hmm. Jackie calls it your flipping tire because she doesn't <laughs> like it in the backyard. <laughs> but uh, I'm thinking about hanging it in the yard so it floats about six inches, mm-hmm. and then get under it and frame against it. And okay. just kind of move underneath the weight of this big tire okay. for 10 or 15 minutes yeah. a couple of times a week to mm-hmm. build my core and my wind. Because that's when I get exhausted is, is the pressure on you and you're trying to move. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm thinking about playing with that. That would be interesting because yeah. you're dealing with gravity. You know, I mean, it's not, uh, yeah, so. And I've got it suspended so if right. I run out of gas, I can crawl out from under. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's going to float six inches off the ground. Yeah, but I'm going to use a cable system and just prop it up out there and see what I can do with it. I just grab a dude from the Target, bring him back, <laughs> like try to smash me, guy from Target. Yeah, right. That sounds like a better play. Just keep him in a box in the backyard. There, there's no value. You'd murder him. <laughs> no, you don't kill him. You got to keep him alive for tomorrow, well, you know, or just several, go get another and, and one. Again, remember, I am nobody in, in 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 this world. But you know, people at church go, hey, "I'm interested in this stuff that that you talk about." Some okay, come to my house. We'll get out of my garage and say so. Let's just start here. I'm going to lay down, and you hold me on the ground. Mm. 
just hold me on the ground. I said, now, when I stand up, we're done. I'm not going to choke you. I'm not going to do anything evil to you. I'm just going to get out from under you. Yeah. And you and you can't stop me. And I, you, you try. And so you do it, and the guy goes, oh, I Let didn't me know. try it again. I didn't know we started. Let me. Did you want me to I didn't know we started. How many yeah, times do yeah. you hear that? I hear that all the time. Did, did oh, you, I didn't know we started. Did you want me to try? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I just, you know, I want you to lay here like a potato, you know. No, and, I just wanted you to crawl on top of me and breathe weird. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and it was and it was weird that, that once you do that, and I go, and I know, and I, I tell people you weigh 120 pounds, but <laughs> I don't want to insult you. I said, I, I, I know a 120-pound girl you can't hold down. I said, and not only could you not hold her down, she put you to sleep or pull your limbs off. <laughs> and I said, this is what I'm doing. And if I told you that or we wrestled, I said, but just the idea that you can't hold me down and you're a full grown man. And, there, that, and there's nothing you can do. I could take all your stuff right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's your motivation. Yeah, huh? It's it's killing season, Lonnie. I don't know if I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. That. So I've I've heard about the Dow yeah, and, and it's all killing that stuff. season. And and you know, I go back to uh, and again. With, with with my worldview, if we're not created and we're just evolved, then if you've got it and I want it, I can take it, and there's no right or wrong about it. It's mm-hmm. mine. Yeah, because I'm bigger and I can. You know, a lion eats a gazelle. Why? They're on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and you can intentionally become the lion, or you can, through complacency, become the gazelle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just and walked you, too close to where I was. Yeah, I was you hungry. Know, I mean, yeah, and, I mean that's it. it and, and and you know, lions hunt efficiently. They're not going to burn a lot of energy chasing something down. They'll, they'll kill. They the sleep stu- all day, bro. They'll eat the stupid well, ones first. Not, you know, not the females. Well, no, they, they I'm do, talking about the important they're doing ones. All the, <laughs> <hey>. <laughs> they're doing all the work there. If you agree with Brandon's last statement, eight eight two nine seven nine nine for all your relationship counseling needs. <laughs> All right, here, I got a good question right here. This is that Gumby ogre, which is interesting. It's an ogre that's very flexible. Okay. And climbing a Gumby is a guy who's no good, by the way. Oh. I'm a Gumby. That's that's the case here, too, because listen to this question. How do I get through the blue belt blues? Help. Complacency is your enemy. Time is his sword. Embrace the suck. Enjoy the grind. That's that's what it's got to be. You got to be a certain kind of crazy, I think. I mean, and you're pretty crazy. If you got to blue belt, you got through a lot of beatings. Yeah, you're relatively you know? crazy. And um, but you're at blue belt. I think you get tired. You're like, oh, I did all that. Now what? You know? Well, I don't. It's more of that. Like you're gonna keep getting beat. So it's just. I know. don't think that there's a such thing as the blue belt blues, any more than I think there's a such thing as. I've been playing guitar for six months, and now I quit. Like, it's a, I don't want to say people get bored with it, but once you meet, okay, I met the initial challenge. This is difficult. I hit the first milestone. I'm no longer interested. I think maybe your initial goal was too short-sighted. So, like, uh you know, if if the belt rankings and stuff are your goal, then, you know, you really just have time to put in and, you know, consistency. But, like, for me it was, it was like an intangible goal. Like, I want to be able to defend myself and my children in the Walmart parking lot. And so, for me, that's an ongoing thing. You know, I mean, if I stopped training, I wouldn't be able to defend myself like I needed to to do, you know. And so, maybe... 
the, just the goal set needs to change. And again, it, it's going to go back to if you reach blue belt and there's not a lot of higher guys at your gym, mm. then you feel like you kind of plateaued. And, you know, you are competent in self-defense at blue belt. But walk into a room with some brown belts. Walk into a room with uh, Gavin or Scap or Brandon or Lindsay or uh, who's the big kid? River. Oh, man. You know, and then go, hmm, I think I can improve my technique here some more. And, and so it, it d- kind of depends on where you're at on, on the food chain. If you're, you know, in a, in a place that doesn't have a lot of blue belts and you're one of them, then, yeah, you're going to be bored every week. Well, find someplace else where you're not so bored. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me say this, too. It's okay to quit at blue belt. It's totally okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with quitting something that you're doing. There is something wrong with giving up. But those are not the same thing. Absolutely. Um, But once you've kind of got what you need to get out of jujitsu, bro, please feel free to move on. Just don't move on from the lessons that you took away. Right? Like We let Keller quit. Yeah, our own... Our own son doesn't really even train that much right now. I'm like, I can talk, I can talk him into getting up here, you know, but he's not coming on his own volition at this point, and that's all right. And we feel pretty comfortable because I have to get down and exert myself a little bit and use a little skill and effort to be able to handle the 15 year old boy. Right. <laughs> and so I'm not that worried about it. Like, if that's all that he needed from jujitsu was okay, I've he walks around with the confidence of somebody that does know what they're doing because compared to his peer set, he does know what he's doing. And in addition to that, it's just whatever it is, like this is for me, I quit stuff all the time. I start and quit stuff all the time. I think it's healthy. I I go and I taste it. I observe it. I learn more than the surface amount about it. And now perhaps I see, well, this is either a gonna take more of the time, my important time that I'm willing to give. I have other things that need my time, and so this no longer serves me. Or, uh, you know, this is boring. It's not. It doesn't excite me. It's not what I want to do. It doesn't move me on to the next part. But really, the the gift of jujitsu, young blue belts, is that you're learning how to learn. I think jujitsu is the best vehicle for learning how to learn the next thing. So if that's all you got was that you learned how to learn something, mm-hmm. I think you did pretty good, man. It's it's okay to quit, but it's never okay to give up. So you need to just examine in your heart why it is you got the blues and start working from there. That's was that good counseling good. advice, Lonnie? That was, that was absolutely spot on. And, and I'm one of those people, my wife is a I will be the best at what I do. One of our first date was playing racquetball and she wanted to learn how to, to dive for a ball. She says, I need to learn how you do that. I called it a combat role. Uh-huh. And so we knocked over a cheerleading mat in the <laughs> gym at Harding and took her socks off and I taught her how to combat roll. Yeah. Now she's nine times the athlete I am, but did not know how to do this little role. And so she said, I'm going to learn, I'm going to do that in softball. I'm going to roll and catch a ball and turn a double play before I quit. I'm going to master it. And me, I... I Did she do it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, Multiple times. And even Savage. now, I used it in volleyball, used it in volleyball, used it in racquetball, used it in softball. So, you know, she, she incorporated it. But she's not going to touch anything that she's not the best at. And me, I get competent at something, I move on. Maybe yeah. i got a shortest tension span or whatever, but... 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think that's the path to competency. It's not necessarily the path to mastery. Mastery so. is a totally different thing. Right. Mastery requires everything of you. Like, it requires your heart, your soul, your mind, your physical. Like, mastery is a different thing, and, and that's not for everybody. Right. And you have a certain amount of time, money, and energy. Mm-hmm. And you only invest that into the things that you're super, super sold out about. And, you know, I'm unwilling to give up deer hunting to be a better rock climber. I'm unwilling to give up rock climbing to be a trophy class deer hunter. So I kill Just do a, a little of both then. I kill yeah. a few deer every year. I shoot fish with my bow and I climb rocks. I'm a happy little ball guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's important, man. Like, But I think you have to taste a lot of different things, or a guy like me at least. I have to taste a lot of different things to know what's like worth examining for competency mm-hmm. and then to know beyond that what's worth dedicating mastery level attention to. And, you know, I, I don't want to be hating or trolling, but I got this thing on Facebook the other day about how to use a longsword. And, and these guys were discussing longsword versus rapier versus katana and you know, I posted Daffy Duck going, block, spin, parry, thrust. <laughs> <laughs> that has no relevant value in my life. Mm. But so, like, yeah, I think that's what you want to pursue. But as long as Dan Wesson keeps making his products, I don't need a longsword. <laughs> right. That That is a 1911 frame 45 for those of you who don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know nothing about I no guns. Mean, I mean, I knew it was a gun, but. Well, I picked up. I figured if Lonnie was talking about it, it was involving a gun somehow. But but then at the same time, I have said, if you know how to handle a sword, you pick up a mop handle and and do work. Yeah. Right. And I think sword play is just really cool. I don't know. that. I mean, you know, I'm not going to carry a sword. But you brought a knife to a gunfight. I'm not, right. (laughs) I'm not, like, looking at it for self-defense or anything. I don't think, I don't don't even use jujitsu as a, I don't even really think about self-defense that much with jujitsu, other than, like, techniques that I'm putting towards my students you know obviously that's a consideration in the curriculum but i really don't think about jujitsu as self-defense like i've heard joe rogan say this he says martial arts is a vehicle for Mm self-improvement and that's what jujitsu is for me it's an opportunity for deep examination of the self it's an opportunity again to learn how to learn how to do what musashi would say uh once you understand once you see the way broadly, you see it in everything. Once you understand broadly, you see it in every little piece of your life. Like when I go to open a door, I do it with a frame. I don't push with my hand. Well, that's ridiculous, except for it's efficient. Well, I'm studying jujitsu while I'm opening the door. You know what I mean? And so for me, jujitsu is like this all-consuming, um, almost like a philosophical stance, but without a dedication to a mastery level of the art, then it's, it's like a cool game that you play and a cool skill set that you pick up. But anything that's really worth having can be that for you. So like music is that for some people. Like it has nothing to do with, you know, physical prowess or a self-defense skill set or fighting, but you glean the same lesson from it because the the thing that makes you excellent is the pursuit of the excellence itself. And and resilience and the ability to frustrate tol- to have a good tolerance for frustration mm-hmm. will transfer into anything Any else skill. that you get into that that deals with adversity. And yeah. the and the willingness to put forth 
time, like copious amounts of time and effort for a 1% improvement after, after you've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. Like, hold on. Like in the beginning, of course, it's easy. Every time you get on the mat, you're 20% better than you were last time. And the person you're really fighting on the mat is yourself. Yeah, it's it's your own willingness uh, for me, desire it's to not train. A, a, and, an examination of ego, you know, and, and it, it puts some things into perspective like, you know, okay, I'm standing in line at Walmart and this person back here is getting on my nerves, but I've already gotten choked three times today. So, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> things are not as bad as they seem. So. What, is the, uh, what is the line? Is it Jukebox Hero bought a guitar and played it till my fingers bled? Mm-hmm. That's discipline. Yeah, and it's so, it's it's know. the opening crazy part. I'm willing to play till my fingers bleed, and then it's the I'm willing to continue to play so long that my fingers don't bleed anymore. Yeah, there's a a John Grisham novel called Playing for Pizza, and it's this washed up pro football player who ends up playing in an Italian football league, <laughs> and the Italian football league they're playing American football in Italy in, yeah. in Parma, Italy, the home of Parmesan. Jeez. Mm. Jeez. You're talking my language, honey. They play football, and then after the game, they get paid in pizza. They go eat pizza and drink beer. He goes, here I am mad because I'm only making $200,000 a year, and I'm not making what these guys in America make. And these guys have full-time jobs, and they're coming out here on weekends, and they're playing as part of the Parma Panthers mm-hmm. to eat pizza. And I playing for pizza. I, I You know, I do it because I love it. Yeah. And, you know, but, you know, uh, if if your desire though, if you're you can't put your head on your pillow at night without pursuit of being the best, then you can't you can't tolerate the Parma Panthers, dude. I, I understand that. So, and like nobody ever nobody ever became a champion without needing to be a champion. Like it's something like there's no mastery without the decision to pursue mastery first. Absolutely. You don't get it. You don't, it it doesn't occur by serendipity. It has to be intentional. And it doesn't occur by going, you know what? My goal is the Carolina Panthers, but I'm going with the Parma Panthers. (laughs) (laughs) You you know what I mean? Like, listen, the Parma Panthers, that sounds like a dope job for me or you, but if somebody is, if all they can do is eat, sleep and drink winning, or being the best, or or finding out how far they can take it themselves, then settling for the Parma Panthers for that guy is a huge mistake. Well, that's what you always say about like people who want to come come into the gym and want to fight, and you're like, I don't, I don't suggest fighting unless that's the only thing that you can think about when you lay your head down at night. Like, I got that advice from Hoyt Nelson. Really? Yeah, not about fighting, but about youth ministry. So, you know, I was 16. Hoyt Nelson was my hero, dude. And so, uh, you know, I I gained so much uh, benefit from just being able to be around him while I was growing up. And I was telling him, man, you know, I think I want to be a youth minister too. I'm going to go to Faulkner. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get my degree in in theology and ministry. And I'm going to be a youth minister, you know. Because I was able to see like the benefit, it was having a tremendous benefit on right. my life, and you I was benefited able to even, from it. And so you yeah, even in it. the moment, it was having such a benefit on my life. I could even notice it in the moment, which is kind of rare, right? I usually don't look back, and usually just have to look back and go, "Oh man, That's my cool. time with that guy was really important." But I was able to feel it in the moment. I want to do what you do, Hoist or Hoyt, not Hoist. <laughs> Listen to me, yeah, I do Hoist too. Yeah. yeah, that would work for me. I want to do what you do. I want to help people the way you've helped me, right? 
He said, listen, you do not want to be in ministry. The only reason that I could recommend it to you is if it's the only thing, like you can't sleep at night unless you know you're, you're involved in it. And at that time, that was, that was a yes for me. And so I pursued it, but I, I felt like that was tremendous advice and I've given it to many, but I think you need to caveat that and, and, and differentiate between ministry and church ministry. Cause you're doing the same thing right now. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're doing, I, I meant church ministry. Right, you're moment, doing youth ministry right. right now because you're taking young people who are listless and training them in, in, in areas of discipline and philosophy and deep thinking. There's so much wisdom out on this mat that you, you, uh, you know, you told me one time you're changing the world one person at a time through jujitsu, and I believe that. Yeah, I think so. I, so I, you're good. still in youth ministry. It's just not church youth ministry. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> if you take the word ministry out of a religious context, that a minister is a servant. Same thing as a samurai. Yeah. Servant. So I say that all the time. Samurai is the servant of the emperor. And the emperor, in this case, is jujitsu. Yeah, you're the emperor, <laughs> baby. What's up? He's Lindsay. <laughs> I heard the emperor's got a new groove. What's up? What? <laughs> but yeah, you're changing a lot of lives. And, and practically, you're, you're creating good jujitsu practitioners. But then you're turning out people with some clue about living and making good decisions and having values and stick-to-itiveness and all, all kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I actually had um, someone tell me the other day, uh, oh, well, you don't know how so-and-so acts like away from the building. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't. But when they come here, like there's a level of expectation that's never really like stated, you know, it's gym culture, social culture, your gym. Yeah. And so it's pressure. Exactly. And so I was like, you're right. I don't know what they do, but I know that when they come here, they do, they are kind and they are loving and they are accepting of others. And, and so, you know, and so, yeah, I don't want any expectations of what goes on out there, but you know, when you come here, when you come here, you're going to practice, like you get an opportunity to practice being a part of this culture and eventually your practice becomes a habit and and eventually your habits become who you are. And, And so in 2010, I think it's when Eddie Bravo came to Webster's. Maybe, yeah. I think we were just right. on Facebook. He said, hey, I'm doing this thing with Eddie Bravo. You need to come over. I was nine months outside of wearing a colostomy bag. Mm-hmm. I showed up at, in that room. And there was no reason to come and learn from me at that time either. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, I put my hands on you at a retreat and went. I told Jackie, I said, something happened with Brandon. I said, this kid you saw me throw around Camp Nayati. I said, he, he got on the floor of the gym. You guys had finished playing a set at Berry College. Oh, my old Ford gym. <laughs> and and you, got, you got on the floor and said, hey, come put a, an Americana on me. And I did, and you grinned. <laughs> and there was a difference. And I told Jackie, I said, something's happened. I said, he's outgrown me in jiu-jitsu. I said, the circle is complete. I said, something's going on with this guy. I said, I could not have put him in that position or mm-hmm. kept him in that position. I said, I don't know what's, what he's doing. And so he was like, what's going on? And then you got me on Facebook and said, hey, come, come to this thing. And so I walk into this gym overweight, and I've got a picture of me with Eddie Bravo on that occasion. And I got a, this, I'm wearing the same shirt with me and my purple belt. I don't know if you oh, un- understand yeah. the difference in those two pictures. And I, I had staples in my stomach and mm-hmm. was wrapped up. I remember that. So I could come play with Eddie. And it and you resurrected my soul to give me something to pursue. Aww, it was really awesome. cool. Oh, 
He might cry. <laughs> we'll talk about happy. something else. <laughs> I'm a crier. And then, In case so, y'all didn't know. And, and, then, and, then, and, you know, and then so it was like, you know, then I got to do two things w- with Eddie, and one was John Jock, and then one was Chris Herzog. Yeah. And then I've been included in with things you did with Sean Applegate and with Bobby Rivers and with uh, Einstein and Barncat. You know, I, and Sean Bollinger. You know, I met all these people that, that I never knew existed, and it was like, this is something I can pursue with a, 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 a culture, with a tribe, or I can roll that mat out in my garage and do drills. And, you know, I think it was it was a valuable part of my recovery from a life-altering and almost a life-ending incident. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. That makes me very happy. <laughs> that makes me very happy. Let's move on to a, another question <laughs> here. <laughs> what are y'all laughing at? Uh, June Redhead. Uh, this this chick's a black belt okay. from uh, Puccio School down awesome. in Birmingham. Awesome. Very. I won't say her real name. She obviously doesn't use it for a reason. But uh, anyway, did do any of you get nervous before teaching a group class? If so, how do I overcome it? I still get nervous, actually. Not me, baby. Oh, That's no. prime time. <laughs> I've never been nervous in front I of actually, a crowd. Actually, um, so and this would be the advice that I. I give you, so I'm going to teach a seminar in Costa Rica, and um, I, I have a general outline of what I want to, I have a general outline of what I want to go over, um, but the way that you get rid of nerves is you just keep doing it, like you do it over and over, and you get the reps in, just like jujitsu reps, teaching, yeah, so I mean, I and I was, it's weird that I get nervous, because I was a teacher for 14 years, and, but that was math and I had a mastery over what I was teaching and I still have like those insecurities about my jujitsu. I know I'm a black belt, <laughs> probably shouldn't have insecurities, but I do. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like if I teach it or say the wrong thing or, you know, I'll be exposed or something as a fraud, but you know, those are just the things, the, the fears that go on in your mind. But just like with jujitsu, I had butterflies in my stomach every time driving to, to jujitsu class and I remember thinking I just hope there's that one day when I am driving to class and I'm not nervous and so you know what 14 years later I'm not really nervous anymore <laughs> so. but teaching a class still makes you nervous it does and and most of even the time, though teaching is your your like legit perfect it was that's my your profession. profession and you're good yeah. at it. but yeah I don't have the reps teaching jujitsu um but yeah I mean so that's but that's how you get rid of it. And so like before my seminar in Costa Rica, I'm hoping that I get a chance to like, let's, let's get some reps teaching this and, you know, get it down. So. Yeah. Teaching and speaking is a separate skill set, and your, your personality I think is a, is the first place to start on whether or not you get nervous. Like I don't get nervous in front of a crowd. You can put me in front of there a crowd unprepared and I'm going to be almost not nervous at all. Right. But you, and, but you speaking about things that you know, mm-hmm. all the, no, you know, I'm talking anything? about just for any reason. He could improv. Right. Yeah. Just walk no. in. Yeah. See, you okay. could, you could pull me up there and ask me about math and I may not know the answer, but I won't care that I don't know the answer. But I did get, <laughs> I did get nervous. Like when I would teach new subjects. So like when I advanced to teaching like pre-calculus, I would get super nervous before those classes because again I was not I did not have mastery over the topic. I was I was a learn I was a beginner. Um 
in teaching that subject. And so, yeah. So so assuming that there's not dysautonomia or an actual anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm. when you get nervous, that's your body's response to a stress. And I'm going to go into this environment and I'm going to teach or demonstrate and the nerves that you're feeling is your body getting you alert, motivated, and strong in order to perform a task. So make peace with it. You know, what is the saying? Don't seek silence. Learn to be at peace with the noise. Your body's telling you, hey, you now have the energy. You now have the breathing. You now have the hormone cocktail to do this thing that you're going to be asked to do. Mm-hmm. And then if you weren't qualified to teach, you wouldn't be teaching. The thing right. speaks for itself. Uh, I work with some guys, as weird as it is, we do skits been doing skits for this group for a number of years. One of my things that I hate when you see people do skits is it's, hi, Lindsay. Hi, Lonnie. How's it going? I said, you never start a skit that way. You have permission to be on the stage. Immerse your audience in the scene you're in. Mm -hmm. Start in the middle of a conversation and let the audience catch up. You got permission to be there. As an instructor, you got permission to be there. They, They could have asked somebody else to be there. You're teaching a class. You're on. Don't be nervous. The fact that you've been asked to teach speaks for itself. Now, if I'm in a room with people who are less qualified than me or more qualified than me, I'm either going to give them confirmation or information. And as long as you're valid, you know, another black belt's going to agree with Lindsay. Oh, yeah, I do that all the time. A new person's going to go, oh, wow, that's amazing. So mm-hmm. you don't have to be the most qualified as long as you're giving confirmation or information. Yeah, I think my my... Anxiety has to do with I want to be able to answer every question that could possibly happen, you know, and then so if I can't answer your question, then I feel like I failed. I think so. That's that's part of it to me, too. I think I I think what you just said is a real big part of it for most people. But I I think to be a great teacher, I'm not even saying that I'm a great teacher, but I I do say I put a lot of work into becoming a capable teacher, you know, and I, I try. How about You're that? I do teacher. give, I do give effort. It's not an accident that I've, that people think I'm a good teacher. Right. But I think in order to be a good teacher, no matter what the subject is, you have to, you have to have a deeper understanding than just put your hand here, put your hand here, put your hand here. I'm not, when you ask me a question, I don't intend to solve that particular problem for you. I want to fix why you asked a question like that in the first place. The question like that is the problem because you don't, in this per, this case that I'm thinking about in my head, you don't understand weight distribution. Mm-hmm. Not you don't understand this move. You don't understand anything. When weight distribution is a problem, you won't be able to answer it. But once I can plug you into the greater principle, yeah. you won't have a question like that anymore, you'll be able to answer your own questions. And I think that that the only way to get to that level of confidence is ours. Mm -hmm. It's the only way is mad hours and, and a thorough, like Musashi again, I love that book. Uh, cause you didn't know, but he would say, um, that at the end of his, one of his thing, uh, you must examine this thoroughly. You must study this deeply. Or Jesus would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Same thing. Like, only you're only going to be able to understand this when you're ready for it. But once you're ready, you'll be able to hear the whole story of what I'm trying to tell you. But that statement you made about um, why are they asking the question in the first place, I had a professor tell me that you define a problem 
as a lack of resources. So anytime I'm having a difficulty mm. or problem, I'm missing a resource. What is sometimes that that's information. Yeah, sometimes it's information. Sometimes it's conceptualization. Sometimes it's technique. So when you get that question, rather than answering that specific question, you go back to what is the resource deficit that's making the question come up in the first place. Right. That's mm. a really cool analysis. Doing some that's remedial really, work. Yeah. Well, you know who I first learned that from? Uh, Lonnie Jones one time told me oh, yeah. that if you can't make an analogy with it, then you don't understand it. I've heard Dave mm. Ramsey say that, too. Like, if you can't explain it to somebody like they're in the third grade, then you don't really understand the whole Anything issue. you can illustrate, right. you understand. If you don't know how to, if you can't illustrate it, you don't understand it. All right. We got one last question, and then we got to get out of here, unfortunately. Oh, man. I like hanging out with you. Well, you can stay and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We just won't be live. We just got to turn, go. right. turn right. this stuff off. All right, Lindsay, this is from Brian the Butcher. Okay. Hey, Brian. And he says, do you and Lindsay ever have relationship friction from training together? Um, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Never well, bothers Lonnie at all well, that we train I'm together. I'm clean. Just, just get that on the table now. I'm good. <laughs> so, so Brandon and I used to, we used to drill together a lot when we were both students. But then when Brandon decided to open up 10th Planet Decatur, he became more the head instructor. And then so I assumed a student role. He was the instructor, and so if you know Brandon, he uh, goes headfirst into whatever he's intense about at the moment. So, and that was jujitsu for like probably the last fifteen years. So he surpassed where I was, especially in the knowledge and application of jujitsu. So I had to examine myself and go. Brandon has done the study time. He's put in the mat hours. He knows more than you do. You have something to learn from him. And so I had to examine my ego and, and just say, okay, you're, you're the student. So that is not, that's not um, saying that we have never had any um, friction because my sassy mouth sometimes... <laughs> <laughs> does not or it speaks before my brain um, puts on the brakes so we have had just you know kind of like I'll pop off sometimes and say things before I think about them <laughs> <laughs> but that's the probably the worst amount actually we did have um so it was like a, when I was getting my black belt and I would it was time, it was around the time when I was going to get it, and, you know, like, I remember crying to him one night, just upset that I hadn't gotten it yet, and I was just a sad sack, you know, and I was like, I just want you to be my husband, not my coach, you know, and it, it's hard to separate those roles, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just... I don't know. I, I think it's just the kind of relationship that we have. We're good communicators or, in the first place, whether we did jujitsu or not. Yeah. It, it's it's late on the the relationship's built on being able to say what needs to be said before it, yeah we explode before it becomes a problem. Yeah. So as a the therapist in the room, <laughs> I've known these guys from dating to newlyweds to young parents to to you know forty year old folks running a business together, and they have the majority of the fun foundational elements that it needs to make a, a relationship work. And the primary thing from both of them is neither one of them is selfish. And if you've got selfishness licked in a relationship, everything else sorts itself out. Yeah. I agree and so that. I've, I've, I've watched them grow up 
and especially in your relationship. And you guys have a pretty rock solid relationship, at least from what I can tell. Feels with the pretty access, good to me. With the access that I have to it, you know, and as a guy who, who analyzes relationships for a living, I give them an A plus, yeah. and their well, kids thanks. are A plus, stellar kids. Oh, and thanks, uh, Lonnie. Anyway, an awesome I give us an A plus too. I really do. <laughs> yeah. I, I really do. Of course you uh, do. <laughs> well, because she's in the room, tough guy. <laughs> no. I, you know, I get. I was telling Lindsay this morning. I get a message every day from somebody about, "Oh man, you guys are so cute," or uh, I can tell you guys have great chemistry. How do y'all work so well together? And something like that all the time. And and then you know how I sort of play the role. <laughs> this is funny, Lonnie. But I kind of play the role of uh, what's the word? Chaplain. Uh, play the role of sort of tenth planet chaplain. So I'll be hearing from people from all over the globe and they want to talk to me about this issue they're having or this issue they're having. And one of the great, honestly, one of the great joys in my life is to be able to present my marriage as an example of how I think it should be done. And it, listen, I don't have the exact advice for you right now, but if you will just spend some time around me and Lindsay and the way that we work with each other, I know for sure that you're going to catch what I'm talking about. So it makes me super proud to be able to present our marriage as a proud example uh, to my friends and my colleagues. So, yeah. Thanks. I I think um, I take what you tell me for, you know, 100% honest truth. And so, like, just a funny example would be uh, I remember us watching, it was the church league basketball game, and this guy got hurt in the middle of the court, and his wife went out there and was like, oh, my goodness, are you okay? And, you know, she no, was causing a scene, no. and Brandon looks over at me and goes, never do that to me. So I kind of took that to the extreme, though. Like, sometimes Brandon will be like, oh, my ankle. And I'm God like, he's okay. He'll walk it off. <laughs> kill, 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 kill me and drag me off the right, court. Right. And keep my wife on the bleachers. Right. And so, you know, everybody will be looking at me like, Lindsay, are you not going to go check on him? And I'm like, he's fine. He doesn't want me to go out there. And then, you know, so Brandon told me, you know, we want to have a good marriage. We want to have a good relationship. We have to communicate. So I'll, I tell him everything and probably things he doesn't want to know. I want to know it all, baby. (laughs) All of it. So I'm pretty open and honest about what's going on. So, so so I read this spooky story called what the night knows. Mm -hmm. It was this real paranormal thing. And this entity was in these people's houses and it could manifest in a mirror or through the electricity. And everybody in the house had an encounter with this thing. He was trying to destroy everybody in the family. He's like the husband was a prosecutor or something. But it was super creepy. And everybody in the house knew it was there, but everybody felt crazy. Mm -hmm. And so I read that, and we just had a rule at our house. And I don't care how weird it sounds. I don't care how stupid it sounds. I don't care how silly it is. You tell me about it if it comes across your radar. Yeah. And that's everything. So that, that open communication is is pretty solid that you know if it's an issue you're allowed to bring it up and it's there there's nothing is against the rules yeah well, nothing's against we've the gotten rules. good about unconditional like, acceptance right. and, and, and I lead with lo- lead with love on that absolutely right. like not not you come at like because you're not going to come at me with everything if I start like making harsh judgments about stuff like right. I try to just if you come at me with something crazy which sometimes sometimes it's crazy. <laughs> If you come at me with something crazy, I try to go, well, your feelings on this are more important than mine in this moment. Yes, so. and that's called attunement. People want to be listened to, understood, and accepted. 
And in relationships that don't work, they feel unheard, misunderstood, and rejected. And so you bring it to me, and whether I agree with it or not, I'll give your viewpoint va validation. Mm -hmm. And then we may talk about tweaking it, but the first hour is I get it from your point of view. You think this is bad. You think this is unnecessary. You think this is creepy, whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not there to argue with you. And if you're watching this, the, the dynamic of communication is not two fingers pointing at each other. The dynamic of communication is two fingers aligned with each other. Mm -hmm. I see it from your side of the table. Yeah, you're my teammate. Yeah. And we've gotten better at, um, or I've definitely gotten better at recognizing things and being proactive about. So I'll, something will happen in the morning and it's kind of got me off kilter. And I'll, I'll tell Brandon, okay, this thing happened this morning. It, it made me kind of stressed. So like if during the day our communication, if I'm snappy or something like that, like that's probably why it's nothing that you did or, you know, I'm not mad or angry at you. It's just kind of got me off kilter and I'll get back on track, but yeah. just know. She does a good job of dancing. I'm a sensitive little fella. So she has to dance. <laughs> I'm serious, man. She has to dance around me and walk on eggshells around yeah, me a I lot. I learned that. And so, I mean, you know, if that, if that's the way that you know that is that, if that's the path that you have to travel for a successful marriage, then I'll travel that path, you know, so. I'm into it. All right. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Maybe Lonnie should be the second guest as well. I feel like we just <laughs> talked the whole time. I didn't even get to talk to Lonnie about his cool things, that cool he does. stories and stuff. Yeah, you man. know what? I do want you. My relationship with you guys is one of my coolest stories. Oh, thanks, so Lonnie. that's that's super, super. You know, I I do want you to tell one story before you go. Okay. You got time for him to to do well, one more let me, story. Let me send a text real quick. Yeah, send that text, girl. I want you to tell everybody about um, the gentleman, the young man that you helped with his climbing that only had one hand and okay. and that's how that story ends and the lesson that came from it this is one of my favorite things i've ever learned from you okay so i got involved with building an indoor climbing gym in huntsville alabama and i won't go through the story of that but as part of this gym we donated about four hours a week and would do these uh climbing classes and, and the kind of climbing classes that you do inside a gym is called top rope climbing now, if you go to High Point or some of those professional places now, they have automatic belay devices. Mm -hmm. But in those days, the instructors belayed the kids. Top roping is you connect a rope to a person. It goes through an anchor in the ceiling and comes back down to the instructor or the belay person. And so we belay these kids. Well, we would teach them how to belay. Mm -hmm. And then they had to belay each other. And then they had to belay one of their parents. Oh, it's a big, big deal to, to get a belay certificate in our class. Well, this one particular group was from Academy of Science and Foreign Languages. And there was a young man there named Chris. And Chris only had one arm. And so we're teaching the belay skills. And I've got ropes hanging up. We're making them raise a water bucket off the ground and lower it without spilling water to get your motion right. And I got there's chaos in this room. I got all these kids running around, ropes hanging everywhere. And somebody tugs on my harness. And it's this little guy with one arm. He goes, Mr. Lonnie, Mr. Lonnie, I need to learn to belay. And not being very sensitive, I said, well, Chris, people use lead two hands to belay. And Chris said, well, usually I just have one. <laughs> and you stand there feeling like an idiot, you know, duh, you know. And then he said, don't tell me what people with two hands can do. Tell me what I can do with the one hand I've got. And that is a very impactful statement to me. One of the two most impactful things said to me in my lifetime. That's awesome. And I began, and this is a little kid in the seventh grade, and that deep wisdom of, I, I'm not worried about what people with two hands can do. I've got one. What can I do with it? Mm. 
what can I do with my height? I can't get taller. I can train posture. Uh, I may not be able to be faster, but I can change my timing. Uh, I may not be able to get stronger. I can change my precision. And so just learning to say, what do I have? What are, what do my strength play to? And that's what I'm going to do. So don't tell me what two people with X can do. What can I do with the X that I have? Beautiful. Let's close with that. Should I do a closing song? Nope. All right, we're going to sing the first and last. Let's stand as we sing. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening. Make sure you like and subscribe. Make sure you're following us on all our socials. Lonnie, share your social and talk about your podcast real quick. Uh, LonnieJonesResources.com is digital products, access to my artwork, books, uh, videos explaining climbing stuff. And then uh, Lonnie Jones uh, podcast is Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. Thank you, guys. And you should subscribe to it. I do. Lindsay, do you subscribe to it? She doesn't listen to podcasts, so I doubt it. I don't even listen to our podcast. You're slacking. And and, and for the jujitsu crowd, grappling with life, controlling your inside space is kind of an an illustration about life using the principles of jujitsu as I understand them. I may misunderstand them, but no, anyway, it it's a fun it little book. book. And Brandon's actually on the cover. That's a line drawing I did of Brandon grappling. I don't think I, I realized that. that. Yeah, that's a, that's Brandon. That's, that's cool. why it looks a little chunky. Sweeping a dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're out of here.